Welcome to This Week in Louisiana Agriculture. This is the podcast edition of this week's show. If you would like to watch the video of this week's show, head over to our website at twilighttv.org. To learn more about all the stories you hear in this episode, you can visit that same website, and we hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Kristen Oaks-White. Thank you for joining us for This Week in Louisiana Agriculture, the only TV show bringing Louisiana farmers and consumers together every week. My partner, Avery Davidson, will join us in just a bit. While the official start of hurricane season is right around the corner on June 1st, this week Twyla's Neil Melanson takes us to New Orleans where the crews of the planes that fly into those storms are getting ready. Here at the New Orleans Lakefront Airport, these school kids are getting their first look at the planes that hunt hurricanes. While they're fascinated by the big jets, it's the work the crews do that keep them safe for most months in the South Louisiana year. John Zawislak is the flight director aboard the Miss Piggy here and says three big radar devices help them see through the storm. So essentially we carry three radars on board this airplane. The first one is in the nose section of the aircraft. And then we also have one here in the belly of the aircraft. That's our low fuselage radar. These two radars in combination provide us a situational awareness in the storm to essentially look ahead at what's in front of us weather-wise so that we can find the best path through the storm environments. In the tail section of the aircraft, we have the tail doppler radar. That tail radar actually is providing a three-dimensional look at the storm. So we're actually getting 3D wind. And that data actually gets sent in real time to the National Hurricane Center. So they're getting a 3D picture of the eye every time we go through the storm. Hurricane hunting is time-consuming, dangerous, and expensive. However, the risk is worth the cost, according to National Hurricane Center Director Michael Brennan. Well, it all comes down to the hazards. The storm surge flooding, flooding from heavy rainfall, winds, tornadoes. All that falls out of the forecast of where the storm's going to go, what its structure is going to look like. So the more confident we are in that forecast and the more consistent that forecast is, the more accurate we can issue, uh, more accurately we can issue things like watches and warnings for hurricane or tropical storm force winds for storm surge, more accurate flood watches and warnings are going to be. And that directly uh, you know, plugs in to the preparedness steps that people have to take to keep themselves and their property safe. Meteorologist Jay Grimes agrees, saying the forecast data these hunters bring back saves lives every year. The aircraft data is going directly into the models to allow them to improve the forecast, not only of where it's going, but the intensity forecast. Is it going to get stronger or weaker? And even now, the intensity forecast isn't great. But if we're talking about reducing the skill of these forecasts by 20%, it would be like taking our forecast ability and rotating it back to 1993 instead of 2023. Now, while it's a beautiful day here in New Orleans, these planes fly when weather is at its roughest, and the difference they make can be between life and death. Reporting from the New Orleans Lakefront Airport, I'm Neil Malasong. Now, getting ready for hurricane season is always a pain, but it's also never been easier. You can visit getagameplan.org, where there are numerous resources to help you get ready for the upcoming season. We'll put a link to that site on our website at twilighttv.org. Well, the race to be the next governor of Louisiana is tight with seven candidates seeking the office. Of those, five are Republicans. Twyla's Avery Davidson introduced us to the lone independent and the lone Democratic candidate last week, and he now joins us to begin introducing those Republican candidates, beginning with someone who is no stranger to the governor's office. Kristen, we're almost at the halfway mark of going through all of the candidates who are running for Louisiana governor. Joining me now is Stephen Wagespach. He used to be the head of lobby and previously worked with uh, Louisiana governor Bobby Jindal. Stephen, thank you so much for joining hey, us. I appreciate you having me on. I'm 
excited about it. Well, tell me a little bit about your history and why you believe that makes you uh, fit for the governor's office. Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, glad to tell that story. Look, at the end of the day, I was born and raised here in Louisiana. I'm, I'm from Gonzales, Louisiana, Ascension Parish. And I've always been driven to make Louisiana a better state. And so throughout my career, both inside government, outside government, the private sector, I've been trying to find ways to solve problems in Louisiana. It's part of my brand, part of what drives me to this day. And I look at where we are as a state right now, and I think we're truly a state at a crossroads. I am tired of seeing families leave this state for other opportunities. I'm tired to see our economy shrink. I'm tired to see our population shrink, especially when the South is booming right now. And so I think this is the most consequential election in generations in Louisiana. And I think we need leadership that is not just conservative and then reflects the values of our people, but also knows how to get things done, solve problems. I'm tired of standard problems. I want to fix problems. And that's why I'm running, to kind of bring that to, uh, to, the, to the governorship. And we're excited with the feedback we're getting. We're only about 45, 50 days in, and it's been unbelievable response we're getting. And the reason why is I think there's a lot of people in the state who have the same feelings that we do, that this is a moment we can't blink. Louisiana has to take advantage of this. We have to join the other states in the South that are killing it. We have to stop going reverse, start going forward, and that means fixing our economy, fixing our school system, solving crime, and creating an environment where our families want to stay here as compared to leave. Now, while you weren't the governor, you did work in the governor's yeah. office for the eight years in which Bobby Jindal was governor. What did that experience teach you, and how yeah. does that set you up for what your next chapter may be? Well, I was there for the first term, and I left shortly okay. after the first term ended. And I'll tell you, you have to remember that time. That time was right after Katrina and Rita. This is 2007, 2008. And so at the time, there were so many things broken in the state. And there was such a question of, can we rebuild the right way? And we came in and we doubled down the basics. We said, we're going to grow jobs. We're going to redu reduce the tax burden. We're going to fight corruption with everything we get. We're going to stabilize and then try to excel. And that's what we focused on that first four years. And if you remember back then, we had an economy that was growing. We had jobs that were growing. We were number one on a lot of these lists on growing economies, entrepreneurship, innovative economies. It was exciting. We were that type of state that people were trying to copy at that point in time. You compare that to where we are today, and we're at the bottom of all those lists. And so that time, I learned a lot that Louisiana is capable of excellence, and that if you have everything aligned and everyone focused on the greater good as compared to personal good, then big things can happen. Because if you look at Louisiana, every time we have a storm, we have a tragedy. What do we all do? We put our politics aside, we put our arms down, and we lock arms together, and we say, let's go get this done for Louisiana. And we have these moments in our history where we do great historic responsive things. I think what we're trying to do now is, I want to turn it on cruise control so that we always have that approach to any problem we have. And we view our enemies as not as someone across the street we may differ with, but states around us who are trying to steal our families and steal our jobs and steal our opportunity. Those are our enemies that we want to beat. And if we can create that culture here and not just have it post-storm, but just every single day, man, that's where I think Louisiana's on the path to excellence. And I learned in those four years that when, we're, when we have that as our goal, mm -hmm. we can accomplish great things with the right leadership in the state. Well, 10 years at Lobby, obviously yeah. dealing with businesses. Agriculture is a business in Huge. every sense of the word. I mean, between farmers and ranchers having their own small businesses to the industry as a whole, where does that fit into your vision for Louisiana's future? How does agriculture play a part in that economic boom? Agriculture is one of the most important industries we have here for a number of reasons. First of all, not just for what it does by itself, but how it feeds other industries. 
Um, you look at our great culture, culture, recreation, tourism, restaurants, it depends on a strong you know, ag community here. If you look at our port system, we have over 30 ports throughout the state. Well, if you don't have the grain and the other products that are being offered here, then that port system doesn't do much good if we can't take advantage of it. But the big thing for me is what I hear from the farm community are kind of the basics that I hear from other businesses as well. They need a qualified workforce, people that are showed up, ready to work, so they can get the job done. I think you fix our high schools, you insert career and technical training, you, you insert more ag training in those schools so we can develop that pipeline. That'd be a huge benefit for our ag community. That's a big priority for me to fix high schools to do that. The other piece is inflation and cost of insurance sometimes is burying these family farms, is burying the ag community, and we've got to get on top of that. And so I think whatever we can do to lower that tax burden, get bureaucracy and all of that governmental headache out of the way of the family farm so you can make it more affordable, especially while we have inflation like it is, that's another way to create that sustainability. So fix that workforce pipeline, lower the, the financial pressures and the governmental pressures on the family farm. That way we can try to get more lower cost uh, benefit in there to fight inflation. That's not just good for the ag community. That's good for every business. And so what I think is a lot of times we view different industries as having different needs. My years at Lobby taught me that there's really some common denominators. And it all starts with in those high schools, in my opinion, showing kids in Louisiana there are great jobs to be had here. And they're very attainable jobs. You can have a great living, but you have to get the skills, the training, the know-how, and the work ethic to go and do that here. And I think in the ag community, they're perfect conduit for that type of workforce if we can do a better job providing it coming out of high schools. Well, you were the last to enter the governor's race, and you're one of five Republicans. What sets you apart from your fellow Republicans, and how are you going to find a way to get into that runoff? You know, I just hope the voters of this state recognize this year for what it truly is. It's the most important election cycle in generations. We can't miss this vote. If you look at the other states around us in the South, the South is on a boom right now. Coming out of COVID, families, individuals, companies, they are leaving states like California, New York, and Illinois. They're tired of high taxes. They're tired of crazy politics. They're moving to the South. The South is dominating the top 10 on population growth and economic growth. Louisiana is going backwards right now in a boom time. It should be unexcusable. If people pay attention to the fact that this is our moment to shine, this is our moment to fix our economy and our workforce, I think they'll look for the type of leader who I think has a proven track record of being able to solve those problems. And I think that's what I can offer. I'm a conservative, but I'm also a consensus builder. And I think people are looking for someone who can drive solutions to the problems we have. They recognize that Louisiana is a pretty precarious spot. I think the other thing is I think people are sick and tired of politics. Politics has become more about who you, who you hate as compared to what you're trying to accomplish. And I'm going to have a message that's based upon what we can do to fix Louisiana, stop the brain drain, begin the era of brain gain. That's going to be our message. And I think it's resonating with a, a type of people in the state who are sick of the games. They just want solutions to make their lives easier. Well, I know that you'll be looking for solutions to make it into that runoff. Stephen Wagaspak, the former head of Lobby, thank you so much for joining us here thank on you. This Week in Louisiana Agriculture. Appreciate it very much. Enjoyed best, it. Best of luck in the election and as well. And go to wagsforla.com if you want to learn more. There you go. And, of course, you can check out all of these interviews on our website at twilatv.org. So right after this break, we're going to come back with another candidate for you to meet. Stay with us.
Hi, I'm John Fielder, and I'm the Vice President, Branch Manager of the Louisiana Land Bank Shreveport Branch. In today's market, where interest rates are all-time low, it's very hard to find an investment that can compare to timber, something that's consistent. And typically, if you manage timber correctly, it'll grow possibly as much as 6 to 8% or more. If you're looking for that loan for timber, for recreation property, for cattle, crops, call me, John Fielder, at the Louisiana Land Bank. It's a well-known fact that here in Louisiana, sugarcane is more than just a crop. It's a way of life. It creates more than 16,000 jobs across the state and an additional $3 billion boost to our state's economy. And Louisiana's cane families always give back to the communities where we live, work, and play. Louisiana sugarcane, making life sweeter, naturally. Sugarcane, sweet sugarcane. I'm a steward of the land. I am growing a better future. I am feeding the world. I'm making the world a better place. I am resilient. I'm essential, and I'm still forming. I am essential. I am still forming. I am resilient. I am essential. I am still forming. No matter what happens, we are still forming. I am Farm Bureau. 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 We are Farm Bureau. Thanks for staying with us here on This Week in Louisiana Agriculture. We're going to continue with our meeting of the candidates for governor of the great state of Louisiana. Joining me now is Richard Nelson, current member of the House, but hoping to be governor of Louisiana. Richard, thanks for joining us on Twilight. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about your background, because I understand you are an attorney, you've, you're an engineer as well, but also you served in the State Department for a while and have pretty much seen the world. Absolutely. So I uh, grew up in Mandeville, uh, was an Eagle Scout valedictorian at Mandeville High, uh, went to LSU after that, got a degree in biological engineering at LSU, uh, then went on to law school right after that, and then uh, joined the Foreign Service, the U.S. Department of State, um, went all around the world. Uh, we lived in Washington, D.C., uh, Germany, and the uh, former Soviet Republic of Georgia, not to be confused with the Atlanta the and the Falcons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're there and then um, moved back to Washington and um, spent two more years in Washington and during that time, I managed much of security projects in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Pakistan. And then after that, my wife and I, we'd had two kids by then, and we said, hey, I think it's time to move home. So we came back to Mandeville and, you know, ran for office, you know, shortly after that. So I just came back in 2017 and got elected in 2019. You know, my, we didn't have any, don't have really any connections. We just went out and worked really hard and were able to, to win the election in 2019. And I've been in the House since then. Well, that election in 2019, it was a little bit different for you. I remember hearing you talk about it before that uh, this was kind of an interesting foray into politics for you. How'd you get in? Yeah, so my, you know, people ask me all the time, they say I'm a little bit younger, they think my parents must be in politics. Well, my dad was an IRS agent, like pretty much the most unpopular person probably in the state of Louisiana, right? So 
Um, but my wife and I, we went and knocked on 5,000 doors, and we really just uh, were able to you know, kind of stand out in the crowded field, which is similar to the, the gubernatorial race, obviously, right? So uh, we really just outworked the other people. They had more money. They had more name recognition. They had all those things. But, yeah, we worked harder, and we had a good message. So in your run for governor, in your vision for Louisiana, where does agriculture fall in that? Because it is quite an important industry, the biggest industry in this state. Absolutely. So I think that, you know, Louisiana has so many things going for it. And I think agriculture is really one. I mean, I think we, we have these really, I think, natural strengths. You know, you have agriculture, we have oil and gas, we have, you know, the Mississippi River as transportation links. And what I think we've done is for the last hundred years, we've really used kind of these strengths as a crutch on bad policy, right? Instead of using it as a competitive advantage. I think it's really important that you look at things like agriculture and you say, well, how can we make it better? How can we grow? And then how can we use that to really, you know, advance, advance, you know, I think down the production line, right? Not just grow the crops, like how can we process them? How can we create the final products? And then how can we ship them out to the world? I think that it's a, it's a very important piece of the puzzle in order to build the future of Louisiana, I think, and to, uh, you know, expand our presence down the value-added chain. And that's where I would look at agriculture as like really this, this really natural advantage that I think we can really leverage to build a new state that's even better. Talking about building a new state, you've talked about building a new tax system for this state. Tell me a little bit about your plans or your, the bill you had in this session uh, to do away with the state income tax and what would that entail? Sure. So, you know, when you look at states like Texas and Florida, they're right down the street from us. They've grown six times faster than us in the last 10 years. And Louisiana has really been falling behind them for a very long time. You know, the last time we added a congressional seat, which was the last time we actually grew faster than the rest of the country, was 1910. So over 100 years ago. Meanwhile, Texas and Florida are picking up congressional seats basically every census. So I think it's one of these things where we have to look at the systems that work. And I think one of the things that's really holding us back is our tax system. You know, it was essentially created by Huey Long 100 years ago to, you know, really focus power and control in Baton Rouge so that that is where, uh, you know, all the decisions, that's where all the money really flows. Local governments really can't solve people's problems. If you need a road, uh, you really have to go to Baton Rouge and beg for your pet money that you're paying in income taxes and you're paying in sales taxes. You have to beg to get that money back and get that road fixed. It doesn't work that way in these other states. Most of that money stays locally. And I think especially if you're in a more rural area, you know, you don't have the representation to come to Baton Rouge and bring that money and get that money back. You just, there's just not there. So you really end up, I think, getting the, the short end of that stick. But so if you have it where you don't have an income tax, most of the money is raised and spent locally, I think you end up with a system where it solves, uh, people's tax money really goes much further in solving their own problems. I know one of the places with, that our farmers and ranchers would be concerned concerning any changes to the tax code are the exemptions for feed, seed, fertilizer that are currently here and every other state in the union. Your plan, where would, where would that fall? So I don't touch any of the existing exemptions, uh, any of the ones that are currently in place. I don't touch them for, especially in the sales tax realm. Um, I, I did expand the taxation on services to match Texas in order to offset some of the losses from the getting rid of the income tax. But that doesn't, that don't, I don't think there's any impact on any of those inputs. Uh, it's mostly like, you know, um, I think uh, dog grooming and, you know, some landscaping things, you know, some kind of more, I think, niche items that Texas taxes in order to make some extra revenue. Uh, and really, I think that's the, the, the key of the plan is trying to broaden the base of both the property tax and the sales tax so that you have, I think, a, a more equitable distribution where everybody pays something 
and that is a better way of uh, you know everyone having a lower rate that everybody pays something into the into the pot so that you know we don't have a system that we have now where you really have Baton Rouge determining who the winners and losers are. You know, if you hire your lobbyists, they go down there and they get you your special carve out, then you're going to be okay, but everybody else ends up paying for it. Um, it's really looking at how do we get a broad base, how do we make it so that Louisiana's system is very competitive compared to Texas and Florida, Tennessee, these states that are doing really well. So there are five Republicans in this race. You're one of those five. How do you differentiate yourself from those other Republicans and uh, eventually make it into the runoff? Well, obviously, I'm the oldest, so I think that's really <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. I, so I think that, you know, honestly, I think my, my age is, um, it, it's important in that it shows the perspective that I have, right? Yeah, I'm you're not, 36. Let's I'm not, yeah, 36. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not running just for the next four years. Like, I'm trying to fix the state for the next 40 years because I'm going to be here, my kids are going to be here, and that's really, I think, the perspective that we have to have. Um, I think in government in general, uh, we very have a, a really short-term view of things. We say, you know, what can I spend money on today? And I don't really care about tomorrow because I'm not gonna be there, I'm not gonna be elected. You know, how do I get to my next election? But so I think when you're, when you're only 36, you're looking at it as, I wanna change, I wanna turn this battleship around, and I recognize it might not happen in the next four years, but I wanna lay the foundation so that 40 years from now, they look back on it and say, this is where we changed the course of Louisiana's future. This is where we went a different road. Instead of continuously declining and losing to all these other states, you know, we turn the, we turn the corner, and I think that that's, you know, the perspective that I bring, and also I think the um, desire to make these big changes. Like really, I mean, like I'll be around when these big changes have finally come to fruition, and I think that's why we need them. Like, like changing our tax system, making it more competitive, like fixing education. Education changes take a long time to come into effect, but my kids are nine, seven, and five. Like they will be able to experience those changes if you make a, a good education system that's really able to I think educate the next, um, you know, the next round, the future of Louisiana, it'll change everything. And so I think being younger gives me that perspective, gives me that drive and fight. I'll tell you, it's going to take a lot of energy. These are big problems that we have here. Uh, I say all the time, if Louisiana was just average, we'd all live four years longer and get a 33% raise. You know, that's the scope of our problems. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's going to take big ideas. I think it's going to take a lot of energy and boldness in order to address them. And that's what I bring to the table that I think the other candidates really, really are just lacking. So 2019, ran for your first race, and now, with, after one term, you're running for governor. What was it in that four-year experience of being at the state capitol that made you say, you know what, I can do that? Yeah, it's a combination of things. I mean, I, obviously, um, you know, I'm 36. I'm an engineer attorney, former diplomat. I lived all over the world. I, I don't really waste my time. Um, and so being in the House, I've, I've been there long enough to see the problems. I, I see how it works which I think is invaluable. Like having served in the legislature, you know, you have to know that process or you're not gonna accomplish anything as governor because you have to work with the legislature as governor. Um, I think that's really, really critical. I think you also, uh, what, I, what I did realize though is the limitations. You know, there are limitations in being one of 144 and only being there two to three months out of the year. You can't really implement these big changes. You know, I've, I've fought these battles. You know, I've brought the bills to get rid of the income tax and restructure the system. You know, I've brought bills to fix our education system and make improvements to that. But it's difficult to do that on a part-time, you know, one out of 144 basis. Huey Long, for all his faults, made the governor the guy that really calls the shots in Louisiana. So he has a lot of power to do a lot of good, but it also means that the legislature is, you know, kind of second chair to that. And so, um, also, the governor vetoed my very first bill. So <laughs> as soon as the governor vetoed my first bill, I said, you know, maybe this is where you got to be if you want to get things done, right? You got to be in the other chair. But 
I think in reality the governor has the power to really change the course of Louisiana. And I, you know, I've, I've seen that in the legislature. I've learned the things that I need to learn and fix, you know, uh, really examine the problems very deeply to figure out what needs to be done. And so I think as governor, you can actually implement them. You know, I fought the battles in the legislature. I think I can win them in the governor's office. Well, I think it's interesting that you've taken that fire that from that one veto and turned that <laughs> into a run for governor. I appreciate yeah. you taking time to be on these, this week in Louisiana agriculture. Richard Nelson, state representative and candidate for governor. Thanks so much. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thanks, so when we come back, we're going to have a Twyla boost for all the mothers out there. Stay with us. In our state, the Louisiana Forestry Association promotes sustainable forestry to create clean air, clean water, and a thriving habitat for wildlife. That's why Louisiana has more forests today than 100 years ago. Louisiana Forestry Association, we're minding the forest for you. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whatever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look, listen, live. This is the moment I knew. His future had no boundaries. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. plan today. Mother's Day is this weekend, and if this is the first time this idea has crossed your mind, well, I kind of feel sorry for you because I have a great idea that can save the day if you haven't gotten the Mother's Day gift yet. Crawfish. Well, I know, I would love that. Mm -hmm. And maybe a spa day as well. Wink, wink, nod, nod if you're listening, Landon. But for crawfish, Louisiana farmers and fishermen are ready to answer the call. Let's take a look at some of the prices from around the state. In Shreveport, Shaver's Seafood has live crawfish for $2.25 per pound and boiled is $3.99 a pound. In Tallulah, you can visit Chopsticks and grab some live crawfish for $2.29 a pound and to have them boiled for you, it's $3.99 per pound. In Mamou, B&L Seafood Market has live crawfish for $3 a pound and boiled for only $3.49 a pound. Now make sure you call 
call ahead to check prices and availability near you, and we recommend grabbing a few extra pounds just for good measure. These crawfish prices are brought to you by the Louisiana Crawfish Promotion and Research Board, which reminds you to always eat Louisiana crawfish and to make sure you always ask before you eat. Well, this is your first official Mother's Day as a mother, so happy Mother's Day, Kristen. Thank you. I'm sure Teddy is going to make it absolutely wonderful at, what, eight, nine months old right now? No, almost nine months, <laughs> and I bet he's got some diamonds stashed in his diaper for me. Is that what it is? Uh, <laughs> depends on the day. Well, this week's boost is perfectly timed for the season. Twilight's Brian Hendrickson takes us to Lockport, Louisiana to see how one person's curiosity bloomed into so much more. Meet the Gravois Arabies and how Risa Gravois Arabies' question turned into a micro farm that is continuing to grow. We were starting to like kind of plan some landscaping, so I googled how to grow black and white anemones um, in our zone, zone 9B. And yeah, learned a lot from there, and literally since I saw that website page, I was like, this is an industry, like ignorantly didn't really know again where flowers come from, and so. I was like, I, I swear to you, I came inside, Terry Lynn was sitting on the couch and I was like, babe, we're gonna be flower farmers. And she was like, what? <laughs> That's how this all started. Helping her vision bloom is wife Terry Lynn Gravel-Ierby. So we dove head first, uh, dug up half our backyard and um, planted every seed that we could find. So did really well in the first, the first crop that we did and it just took off. We never intended to be wedding vendors. We never intended to make bouquets. Um, but once all the flowers started blooming, we had to do something with them. So we were like, what are we gonna do? So um, I think that night we made like 10 bundles of flowers in the garden. And before we got finished like showering, they were sold out and it's just snowballed since then. From learning how to piece together a bouquet. I definitely think about the different layers in an arrangement or a bouquet. To jumping into weddings. We started the wedding, um, yeah, we just started advertising that we could do weddings and to think back, it's kind of crazy because, you know, everybody starts somewhere, that's the truth. And looking back on those different types of arrangements and where we've grown and who we are now today as a company, you know, it's really remarkable. Um, but we just went into it fearlessly. With the continuation of business growth, they have had to learn how to help each other grow. Teresa's more of the brains and I'm more of the brawn. So she'll have an idea and she says, I need to do this, make sure it doesn't fall on someone. And then I come in and I'll make sure that it doesn't collapse and that it, we can pull it off um, without a hitch on, most of the time it's wedding day. So we, we do a lot of weddings um, and she'll come up with this, this crazy scheme or see something or have an idea and then that's where I come in. For this week in Louisiana agriculture, I'm Brian Hendrickson. If you would like to learn more about Haven Flower Farms, you can head over to our website where we'll have a link up there for you to visit. Well, that does it for this edition of Twyla. Be sure to join us next week when we'll introduce you to more candidates seeking the office of governor. Until then, you can watch all of our stories online at twylatv.org. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You can also find all of these stories and more on our YouTube channel, so be sure to subscribe, turn on those notifications. That way you know when we put out those gubernatorial interviews in their full length. None of it edited like we have to do for the TV show to fit the time. Don't want to miss a thing. Well, for all of us here at Twyla, thanks for joining us. We hope to see you again right here next week. If you would like to watch the video form of this episode of Twyla, head over to our website at twylatv.org. You can also find all the information related to all the different stories in this episode at that website. Again, that's twylatv.org. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show.